back, everybody, to week six of our series, Summer at Trinity. Uh, more on that in just a moment. But before we begin, as always, I'd like to look into the camera and give a big shout out to everybody who's watching and joining with us live right now. Or maybe you're watching sometime throughout the week at your convenience, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, or online campus platform, however, whenever, whatever. We want you to know that we love you. We miss you. So how about a church? Would you welcome everyone that's joining with us right now online? Yeah. So glad that you are with us today. Can we just say, don't hate, go sons, right? It's kind of a, kind of a big deal. Now, this is, this is really funny. This fit perfectly what I was, what I was thinking while we were worshiping. Um, we were worshiping the Lord, right? And he alone deserves our worship and our praise. Um, but somebody today told me, do you know that the sound inside the arena hit 115 decibels? And ain't nobody complaining about how loud it is. When we come into church and it's right at 100 and people start to lose their mind. Everybody, Jesus is more worthy than the Phoenix Suns. Can we give him the best praise today? He's worthy of it all. All right, platform off. I'm so glad that each of you are with us today. Um, if you haven't already, um, download the app, Everything Trinity Church. Pastor DJ just mentioned that. But let me highlight one quick thing. If you're a guest, whether you're in the room or online, uh, let us know who you are. Simply fill out the connection card, as much information as you wanna give us. That's all that we're after, and I promise you this. Um, we're not gonna call you in the middle of the night. <laughs> we're not gonna come knocking on your door during dinner. Um, if you liked today's service, uh, we're simply gonna give you an email, giving you some clear next steps of how to get connected into the life of our church. And more than anything, um, you've picked a great weekend to be here, and we believe that God is going to speak to you in powerful ways. Um, Amanda and I, our family, we just got back from our family vacation. Every summer, we take the pilgrimage back to Rhode Island. That's where my wife is from. And we visit family, and we had an incredible time. We went to Fenway Park, our first time ever to see a Boston Red Sox game in Fenway. The most incredible sporting event I've ever been to. And they were playing the Kansas City Royals, right? A nobody. Uh, but just the atmosphere, the excitement, every, it, it was absolutely amazing. Um, it rained, though, for four straight days. Four straight days. Um, the high, temperature-wise, on one of those days was only 58 degrees. We pulled up our app. It was 115 degrees in Phoenix. A 65-degree difference. So even though it was raining, I'll be honest with you, like you know we love you that much to have to come back and go through the rest of the summer, the summer with you. But we come back rested, excited, refreshed, and I said this last week or two weeks ago, um, all that God wants to do um, here at Trinity Church, I am so excited for the future here. It's gonna be an incredible journey. I hope you're ready, you're ready for it. Today, um, I've invited my, really, I think my, my best friend in ministry, uh, Pastor Brian Bigger. Pastor Brian and I served together um, in Colorado, uh, or I'm sorry, not in Colorado, that's where he is, in Indiana. God called me here, God has called him to Colorado. And you'll hear more about his journey in a little bit, but church, you're involved. What Brian, Pastor Brian's doing, uh, because of your generosity, we're involved. And I know today um, that you're gonna be uh, blessed and touched by the word of God uh, that he has for each and every one of us. So I don't even know how many times you've been here. I've lost track. Um, but again, would you put your hands together and welcome back to our stage, Pastor Brian Bigger. I, I'm told I do this every time I say Trinity Church. 
That's my thing, I guess, but I just have to do it. Guys, it is always such an honor to be here. I was here a couple weeks ago. Are you getting tired of me yet? Are you, are you tired of me yet? You, you guys are rowdy today. I like it. I like the rowdiness. Is it because there's a Suns game today? I promise I will not hold any bitterness towards you guys that you eliminated my Denver Nuggets in four straight games. But I am going to preach for five hours to get back at you today for that. So cancel all of your plans. We're going to be here a while. But guys, honestly, I can't say it enough. I love this man right here. Your pastor. Can we honor him real quick? We're so grateful for you. Um, I have so many stories. We have so many experiences together. He is, like he said, my be- one of my best friends in my life in ministry. And um, just to be able to be a part and see what God is doing here is always such a privilege. But to dig in today, I'm going to be talking about change, transition, all the dynamics that that kind of brings. And to sort of kind of get the conversation going, I need to introduce you guys to a member of the bigger family right here. This is Bentley the Boxer. Got any dog lovers in the house? Got any dog people? I like it, yep. Now here's the thing. There's some context to this whole dog. I had never owned a dog my entire life. I had guinea pigs as a child, which means my parents did not love me. But when Nicole and I got married, we decided it'd be a good idea before we had kids to see if we could keep an animal alive. That's a good proving ground, you know, practice baby. So we decided to get this dog. And I still remember the day we got this dog. We met this breeder in a Wendy's parking lot. And I have never, again, had a dog in my life. So I meet this lady and I just start harassing her with questions. Because I'm like, I'm like, what do I feed this thing? How often do I feed it? Like, how do I keep this animal alive? And she actually asked me very seriously at one point, she said, do you want this dog? And the honest answer was no, my wife wanted the dog, but you know, that's just how it works in marriage, right? But we ended up getting this dog, and here's the thing, I had no idea what it really meant to own a dog until I saw what this dog would accomplish on my carpet for the next six months. I mean, it is a real transition to adjust to an animal in your house. And a couple years later, we actually added two more animals to our house right here. This is my son and daughter. Oh, if you got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so these are Easton and Brinley, three and two. These are my two kiddos. Now, if any of you guys have kids in this room, you know that experience of the first child, right? I mean, you go to the hospital, as long as everything goes smoothly, it is this magical experience of adding this new member to the family. And then a day or two after this all happens, the nurses just look at you and say, all right, you can bring the kid home now. And you're like, well, wait, no, aren't, aren't we just going to stay here for the next 18 years and you're just going to take care of this whole thing for us? And they just tell you, send you home. And I'm asking the same questions like the dog. I'm like, what do I feed this thing? How do I keep it alive? What's going on? And I don't know if you guys remember this, the first drive home with the first kid is the most stressful experience ever. You got your hands on 10 and 2, you're going 25 miles an hour down the interstate. I mean, you are freaking out. By the time you have the second kid, you're forgetting to buckle them in before you even put them in the car seat. But kids, I mean, massive transition and change in life. And here's the thing, life is change. It is transition. I don't care what it is. There's transitions with jobs. Some of you guys have relocated to the Phoenix area from other places. You have transitions with school and finances and all these different dynamics of life. And actually, there is one single verse in the Bible that has been my anchor any time I have faced any major decision, any challenge, any transition in my life. This is what I have come back to so many times. If I were to say I had a life verse, it would be this one. And it is right here in Joshua 9. This is God speaking. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord 
your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I don't think this is just a random verse pulled out of the Bible for some people who lived a long time ago. I really think this is something God is trying to tell us today. And so we're going to dig into it today and pick it little piece by piece. Will you guys join me in a quick word of prayer before we dig in? God, right now in this moment, I just ask that you speak to us and that we can hear what you want us to hear. And so we just submit ourselves to you. We open our minds and hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? Amen. So let me give you some context to that verse so you guys can understand where we're coming from. If you read through the Old Testament, you will come across this guy, Abraham. And you can make an argument that he is probably one of the single most important human beings who has ever lived. And Abraham, at one point in his life, is promised by God that he's going to get this amazing piece of real estate called the Promised Land, which is modern-day Israel. Abraham gets this promise that it's going to be this inheritance 600 years pass from that promise. 600 years. And now Abraham's descendants are about 2 million people, this now nation of Israel. And they've spent 400 years in slavery. They've spent 40 years through the desert. And they're on the edge of this promised land, 600 years. And God tells them that verse, Joshua 1, 9. That's what he has to say to him. And we're going to pull this apart a little bit. The first thing God really says, he's saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, do I have anybody in here where you actually kind of like to be scared sometimes? You're one of those weirdos. You actually enjoy scary movies, haunted houses. You're, maybe you're an adrenaline junkie. You go bungee jumping and skydiving and all that weird stuff. You're weird. You're honestly just weird. <laughs> but here's the thing. The reason why some of those things are fun is because as long as it's just a movie and the killer's not in your house, and as long as the bungee cord works, it's actually fun, right? Because there's not really much risk as long as everything works out okay. But there are some fears in life that are not fun at all. I mean, some of you guys know what it's like to take a test or a class that has implications for your whole career trajectory. That is not fun. Some of you guys in this room, you know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. And you are just one car repair away from financial disaster. There's a lot of this in this room. I'm sure if you've raised kids, you've had seasons where your child is going through a troubled season and you're afraid that they are just one bad decision away from sidetracking their whole future. That is not a fun fear to have. I mean, there are real experiences that create just fertile soil for fear in our lives. And actually, 40 years before Israel was on the edge of this promised land, they had another opportunity to get into this land. They were on the edge of it. And Moses was leading the nation at that time. And he sends some guys out to scope the land out and let them feel it out. And they come back and they say this, Numbers 13, 27. Look at their response. They say, they gave Moses his account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. It's real good. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, this is what's so interesting about this. God promised this land to them, guaranteed it. He said, it is yours. You just have to walk into it. But the land came assembly required. This place was swarming with hostile enemy nations that wanted them dead. And some of those comments there, you got to understand, when they talked about fortified walls, even at this time in history, if you can believe this, some of these cities and nations would have walls 30 feet high and 20 feet deep surrounding them. 
You could ride chariots across top. This was massively advanced technology compared to what Israel had. That was a real, real threat. It was an impenetrable force for them. And then they talk about these descendants of Anak. You read that, you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? This is a known ancient people group, if you can believe this, where their average height was seven to nine feet tall. I'm telling you, they would destroy the sons if they were playing them tonight. <laughs> and the average Israelite male this time was five, six. I'm telling you, I don't care how much CrossFit you have done, what kind of black belt you have. If somebody is two or three feet taller than you, you are going to get messed up. And so these guys, they have legitimate concerns. But you got to ask the question, what do you do when God is the one leading you into real danger? Because I read these things and I think, yeah, I mean, God, that land looks real good, but it's not going to do me much good if I get killed trying to get in there. I mean, it looks nice, but I'm not sure this is worth the risk. And yet, sometimes God's greatest opportunities are packaged in your greatest fears. You know, Pastor Jared kind of gave you a hint there. If you don't know our history, we worked together in Indiana for a handful of years before we ended up here. If you want any stories of what it's like to work for Pastor Jared or fun boss stories, I can share some with you after the service. Come find me, all right? I got some stories about this guy. Now, what's kind of cool, though, is we always knew as a staff back in Indy that Pastor Jared was going to be a senior pastor, lead pastor. It, I mean, it was in his DNA. It was just a matter of time for it to happen. And what was really cool for me is I got to see the whole process of how he even ended up here at Trinity. And I remember the day when I came in his office and he had all these options. All these churches are trying to swoon Pastor Jared and get him to come to their churches. And he's like, you know, I really feel like God's calling us to this church in, in Mesa, Arizona. Like, I feel like that's where we're supposed to go. And seeing him make that decision now to see everything that God's doing here in this whole story, it's really, really cool to watch this whole thing unfold. Now, similar to how Pastor Jared just felt this strong inclination towards being a lead pastor, I actually felt that at some point in time, I would maybe start a church one day. I felt like that would maybe be something I'd do. And soon after Pastor Jared left the church we were at together in Indy, I actually had some organizations reach out to me and start recruiting and talking to me about possibly starting a church in Colorado, of all places. I never lived there, didn't have any family there, but my wife and I, we just started exploring this and looking at the opportunity, and we actually got to a point where we were like, man, this feels like a door we gotta walk through. This is just an opportunity we need to take. And so we started going through this whole process. I resigned my job in Indy. We had a closing date on our house. We started this whole transition process. All the housing and the funding and the support was in place in Colorado. This just felt like everything was just going perfect. And we were a couple weeks away from taking this final step to moving out there and relocating our whole family. And I get a call from the foundational core supporting organization that was managing the whole thing. And they call me up, they say, Brian, we're not gonna be moving forward. And in a moment, all the funding, the support, the housing just disappeared into thin air. Now I'm wondering, have you ever felt like your back was just against the wall before? I mean, you have these moments where you're like, God, I thought this was you. Did I come all this way for this whole thing just to fall apart? What's going on here? And sometimes our best attempts to follow God will also lead us into our greatest fears. And it's funny because God doesn't even stop with fear. He doesn't stop with, don't be afraid. He takes it to a whole nother level. He says, do not be discouraged. 
Now, I had a very, very discouraging moment here at Trinity a couple weeks ago when I was here. I was hanging out in the back of the church with Alex, that awesome worship leader that you guys have every single week, and she just made kind of a passing comment. She said, Brian, did you do something with your hair? You just look kind of different. And Pastor Jared goes, without missing a beat, yeah, he's going bald. <laughs> it's the nicest thing he's ever said about me. Here's the thing, where fear, I think, are those feelings you have when you are in like a real threatening situation. Discouragement is where you start to lose hope. That's where you start to think, I'm not sure if things are gonna get better. You start to feel defeated inside. And I shared that verse with you guys about the spies checking out the land and feeling it out. Well, through that whole process, they actually ended up having to wander through a desert for 40 years to get another opportunity to get in front of the land. And so they're on this long expedition wandering through this desert and they hit a moment of discouragement themselves. Numbers 21, verse four, we're gonna start and look what it says. The people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Next verse, there is no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now, what is so fascinating to me about this verse is these people saw some of the greatest recorded miracles that we have, that God has ever performed. Delivering them from Egypt, splitting the Red Sea. They saw these things with their own eyes. And even they, under the right conditions, started experiencing some very real discouragement. And you know, it's one thing to have a couple days of discouragement. But when those days start turning into weeks, months, and years, it really changes the whole dynamic. And that's where we kind of get this phrase. If you guys have ever heard this concept before, a wilderness experience, we kind of talk about this experience we go through. Now, here's the thing. A wilderness experience, it's not always punishment for disobedience towards God, but it is always divine direction and development to get you where God wants you to be. And God will sometimes take you through a season where he will strip you down to your very core and peel back the layers of your life and make you realize you are not sufficient unto yourself. And you will get to a place where you, you, you really realize you need God. You know, this whole theme of a wilderness experience, it is just sprinkled throughout the entire Bible. This is something God just seems to love to do in people's lives for their development. Just, just a couple examples. You guys will probably catch these. Joseph, 13 years in prison and slavery before any type of opportunity opened up for him. Moses, 40 years as a shepherd just total anonymity, doing nothing before anything happened in his life. David spent essentially his entire 20s running away from a murderous king at that time. Jesus even spent 40 days in total isolation in a wilderness. That's the actual word that the Bible uses. Paul, the famous author of the New Testament, said he spent a couple years in a wilderness himself. And then obviously the example we're looking at right now, Israel, 40 years in a desert. It is all through the Bible. Here's the thing about a wilderness, though. As much as it may be guided and divinely designed by God, it is a breeding ground for discouragement if you're not careful. And when the whole church plant situation fell apart for Nicole and I, we got catapulted into a wilderness. I mean, I had no job. We were homeless. For a while, we 
moved six or seven times in a three-month period. At one point in time, we were living in like a 250-square-foot attached apartment to a house with my pregnant wife, my one-year-old child, and the dog I showed you in the beginning. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to do some sob story, but there were moments where I was like, God, what is going on right now? And actually... Uh, Nicole and I, we eventually landed in Colorado. I landed with a church. We got in a house, and things were really starting to fall into place. We were like, okay, it kind of feels like we're getting back on our feet. And right after we moved in the house, my daughter was born, and she had some very serious medical things going on in her life that completely knocked Nicole and I off our feet. And then I'm thinking, God, what is going on here? I don't even know what you're doing. We finally get my daughter's stuff kind of figured out. We're like, okay, we're in a process there. We have a plan. And in early 2020, the church I was at, went through a massive controversy, which completely devastated the finances of the church. And a few weeks later, this little thing happened that you may not have heard of called COVID. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that. <coughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> that was good timing for that cough. <laughs> and here's the thing, that was really bad timing actually, I'm sorry. But this COVID thing hits and the church, through a massive round of layoffs, I found myself without a job, with a one-year-old, a two-year-old, desperate need for insurance for my daughter, and in the middle of a global pandemic. Now, when you are in a wilderness, you really start asking these questions, God, what are you doing? You know, I'm doing my best, but it seems like things are getting worse. And you actually start asking these questions like, am I going to die out here? Am I going to get to the other side of this thing? And what's interesting about that verse that we read is it said that they actually spoke against God when they were in that place of discouragement. This is what is so dangerous about discouragement is that it can lead to disbelief in your life. And it will start to eat away at your faith and I've seen a lot of people, when they are in some type of wilderness, they eventually just decide, you know what, I would rather just kind of adopt my own coping mechanisms because I don't want to have some false hope in something that may not happen. And that's where a lot of times people will drift away from God in the middle of the discouragement. Now, is anybody feeling encouraged right now? <laughs> You're like, man, this is heavy sermon, fear and discouragement. Where are we going with this, Brian? I promise we're about to turn the tables. But you have to know today that God is saying, I do not want fear and discouragement to mark your life. That is not what I want for you. I want you to be defined by something totally different. And this is the charge that God gives us. Be strong and courageous. He's saying, I want you to have this emotional and spiritual fortitude that can stand in any situation I want you to have this bold confidence that can see through any circumstance and persevere to the promises I have for you. That is God's desire for you. And if you fast forward a lot of years to the first century from what we were talking about in Israel, this is right after Jesus has resurrected. There is just an explosion going on of people talking about this guy who rose from the dead and what does this mean and what are the implications? And it's just a flurry of activity. And Peter and John were two of Jesus' closest followers and some of the leaders in this new church that started forming in the first century. And actually, they had an encounter with the religious establishment of that day, the leaders. Now you can understand, these religious leaders at this time, they had the power to have Peter and John killed. They could give them a death sentence and not even have to give it a second thought. And so they bring Peter and John before them. And they're like, you guys gotta stop talking about this Jesus guy. You're throwing the city into an uproar you're destabilizing what we have in place with this whole religious system and structure we have in place. And yet Peter and John are like, I don't know what you want us to say. 
the dude was dead and now he's alive. I don't know how we can stop talking about that. And yet we get a glimpse into this encounter in the religious leaders experience of Peter and John. Look what they say about this encounter. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I gotta ask you a question today. Are people astonished by your courage? Do you live with such confidence in God that people actually take notice? You know, I would love for that to be how people describe me. In some moments, I really can manufacture some confidence and courage, but I think we all know in here, it takes one phone call, one bad report, one situation to send us into a tailspin of fear and discouragement sometimes. And yet, how do we actually get what Peter and John had? How do we actually live with this strength and courage that God is, seems to be calling us to? How do we live up to that standard? I think it's interesting because, you know, the writer in Acts, he makes an important note to point out that, you know, there's nothing special about Peter and John. They're unschooled, ordinary men. There's nothing about them that really set them apart. And yet, at the same point in time, that last little note is critical. It says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. These religious leaders, they knew Jesus. They saw him. They experienced him. And when they saw Peter and John, here's what I'm thinking is going on. I think they're looking at Peter and John saying, these guys are acting a lot like that Jesus guy acted. They have that same aura about them. There's something that we can't quite put our finger on. And what they didn't realize was that Peter and John were drawing on a source outside of themselves. And this is something that we are promised ourselves. It is the antidote to fear. It is the cure for discouragement, and it is right in that Joshua 1, 9 verse that we read, and it's right here. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Oh, you better believe there are giants in that land. You better believe the walls are high. The odds are absolutely stacked against you, but God will be with you. And you gotta hear me today. God's presence is enough. You may not have the resources, the connections, or the people, or the looks, or anything, but if you have God, you have every single thing you need for what he is calling you to. So I gotta ask you, you may not feel like you got it, but do you have God? Do you have God today? Because that means you got everything you need. And what's so fascinating, you gotta read this story for yourself. This is so interesting. I didn't catch it until I read it straight through. Every single time, when the leaders were speaking to Israel about entering this land, every time, this happened so many times, their argument for doing it was God's presence. It was never, hey, we got a good strategy. We got a plan. It was just God will be with you. Numbers 14.9, these are everywhere. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. This is just littered throughout the whole story. They're like, hey, yes, they're big. Those are some big walls too. They absolutely can destroy us. But is God with us? Because the rest of that stuff's irrelevant then. Absolutely irrelevant. You know, through that whole experience that Nicole and I went through with COVID and losing, God provided, he made a way. And, you know, we landed and it, and it just worked out. But it was during this season when actually Pastor Jared started having a conversation with me about maybe coming to Arizona and being a part of Trinity. And I'll be honest, that is a very appealing prospect 
So I'm like, man, I get to work with one of my best friends again. I've been able to see this church now the last couple of years be a part of this vibrant, thriving congregation. And so Nicole and I, you guys don't know this, but we were starting to make visits down here. We were checking out neighborhoods. I was jumping on Zillow and Redfin. We were checking things out, thinking about, we thought maybe, maybe Colorado was just a detour to get to Arizona. And it was actually in the middle of this whole process when one of the supporting organizations for us a couple years ago from Planning Church called me. And I was saying, I hadn't heard from any of these people in years. And they reached out to me and said, Brian, would you ever think about giving this planting thing another shot? I'll be honest with you guys right now. When those calls came in, all of the old emotions of fear and discouragement just started flooding in. Because I'm like, you want to talk about planting a church right now? Do you realize that's what threw my family into an absolute tailspin three years ago? And now you want to talk to me about doing this thing again? And this is something you guys need to know. It's not even my own personal experience. You guys know four out of five new church plants don't survive. Only one out of 10 new churches will ever get even over 100 people in attendance. I'll tell you, that is not a winning strategy for supporting a family and um, having a successful life. And so I'm thinking, God, this is not very helpful right now. I got some awesome opportunities on the table. I know you're mixing this whole thing in. It's just like so confusing and frustrating. But I got to give you guys some context on this whole planting thing. You guys, you know, understand this. Research has proven this is definitive. This is not even debatable. The single greatest way to impact an area for God's kingdom purposes is to start a church in that area. To cultivate a thriving local community of Christians in that area. That is the single greatest strategy and God's primary tool for reaching the world and changing people's lives. You read through the whole New Testament, you will see anytime they're moving around, they go to cities and towns and areas and they start these communities of people committed to Jesus and reaching and serving the people in that area. Now, with how essential and important that is, right now in America, we have a net loss of 4,000 churches a year in our country. Some estimates are that it's actually more like six to 10,000 because most churches don't report when they close. There are estimates now from leading organizations that 20 to 25% of churches in America are going to close their doors permanently in the next 18 months because of the impact of COVID and just where our culture is going. Our population, guys, is growing eight times faster than we are starting churches. And even with all the population growth we've had, and church activity since 1990, we have not added a single person to the total number of Christians in our country. We were exactly where we were in 1990. There is not a single county in the entire United States that has more Christians in it than it did 10 years ago. Is anybody feeling encouraged yet? Good, let me keep going. This graph I came across, even just in the last week, this is the chart of people's faith in God by generation. So silence, anybody 75 and older. You see our boomers there. Interestingly, Gen X, the yellow line, is the only one with an upward trajectory. Millennials, that's my generation, going down. This is the one that sobers me up, though. If you can see this purple line right here, Gen Z, pretty much anybody 30 and younger. That is the spiritual trajectory of our country right now. Guys, we are losing badly, very, very badly. And Colorado, where I live, 
is quickly becoming one of the most post-Christian areas in the entire country. If you can believe this, there are organizations now calling Coloradans an unreached people group because it is so unchristian there. <laughs> now, even with all of that, we are all here today, right now, in this room online, because somebody took a risk to start a church. I'm willing to make a bet there's a lot of you in this room that have no idea who even started this church. <laughs> and yet you are benefiting from all of the sacrifice and effort that it took to get to this point. There are churches all over Arizona and the rest of our country where people have gathered together and they've taken a massive risk and they have sacrificed and they have stepped out because they thought it would be worth it to reach people for Jesus. And these were so many of the reasons why I thought church planting would be a good idea. But honestly, the whole experience that Nicole and I had, it put such a bad taste in our mouth. We were like, you know what? That ship has sailed. We don't really want to go down that road again. But it was actually here in Arizona when I was here for a visit and I was hanging out with Pastor Jared. And we honestly were just processing all this stuff. Just trying to wrestle, because I'm trying to, I'm just like, what is going on? What are we supposed to do? What's, what's happening right now? And I still remember, you may not even know this, Pastor, this was a defining moment in the whole process for Nicole and I. I was sitting in his office with him and he looked me right in the eyes. He said, Brian, do not let fear win the day. Amen. He said, I would love nothing more than for us to work together again. And I'm definitely not supposed to say this as somebody who's offering you a job, but you need to plant this church. You cannot let fear win in this thing. You guys need to do this. And it was through that moment, I mean, I use this carefully, but I really feel like that was almost a word from God that God used Pastor Drew to speak into it. And through that and some other mentors, Nicole and I finally got to a point where he said, we cannot let fear and discouragement win. God is calling us to be strong and courageous and to step out. Oh yeah, there are giants, you better believe. There are very high walls, but God is with us. We just have to believe that he is with us in this moment. And so Trinity Church, I, I am excited to let you know that just in the last couple weeks, we have signed on the dotted line to start a new church in Colorado called Rockwood Church. <laughs> yeah. You need to hear me today, though, Trinity. You have no idea the role that this church has played in this whole process. Because I've been coming to Trinity now the last three or four years. And yes, most of those visits are to cover a holiday weekend for Pastor Jared so he can chill. Let's just be honest. You will see me on another Memorial Day or July 4th weekend, I'm sure. But you need to know, these last couple of years, when Cole and I were in this wilderness, I would come down here and get time with Pastor Jared just to let him speak life and encouragement and just affirmation saying, Brian, you are called the ministry. You are supposed to do this. Do not, do not check out. And I would come in this place these last couple of years and just experience the life and the vibrancy and the people and the spirit of worship. And God used this church to remind me, Brian, this matters. This is the hope of the world. Jesus is the most important thing happening in this world. And you need to give your life to this church thing. It really matters. And it was through just being around you guys and having Pastor Jared speaking to us where it really reinvigorated my hope and faith in the local church and its importance in this world. And that it is worth stepping out and taking a risk and sacrificing to reach the people in our own community, just like you guys are doing right here. 
And so really, this is my opportunity to thank you, Trinity Church. You guys don't even know what you have been doing for me these last couple of years when I'm sitting on that front row coming for a visit. I have gotten way more out of these visits than you have, trust me. And so this is a thank you to you guys and what you are to me, yeah. Let's just clap, okay? Let's just commit. But as we close today, and I actually, I wanna let you guys know, even before I transition with that, Pastor Jared is one of our founding board members with this church as well, too. We had our first board meeting last week. He's gonna be speaking into the vision and direction of this church. I mean, it's such an honor to have him on that team with that, those people leading the church. So it's really exciting to have that. Very cool. But uh, now as we close today, I, I'm sure, I just, I have to speak to a certain group of people in here. I just have to. I'm sure there's some of you guys hearing this, you're like, okay, Brian, yeah, you've been through some stuff, but it sounds like it's kind of coming together and that's very exciting and that's a nice story, you know, golf clap. But you're thinking right now, I am in a wilderness right now. I, I'm honestly feeling discouraged. I, the, the fear is building up. I'm not sure I'm gonna get to the other side, side of this thing. I don't really feel God's presence. And you need to hear me today. I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. And I think all of us at some point in our life are gonna go through seasons where we are just wandering in a wilderness. But you need to hear me today. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, fully man, fully God, perfect and sinless, was nailed to a cross by his own creation that he loved. And while he was experiencing this horrific death, Jesus cried, out these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cringe when I read that. So I'm thinking, Jesus, why would you say something so hopeless on the cross? I mean, you know what's about to happen. But you got to understand, in that moment, Jesus took on all of the fear and discouragement and abandonment and rejection and pain of humanity on himself. He entered into the ultimate eternal wilderness, total separation from God for us. And through his resurrection, he opened the door to God's love and presence and power in our own lives. And I just have to tell you this today, if God was willing to go to those lengths for you to experience his presence, do you think he will be with you through your wilderness? The answer is he absolutely will. He will not leave you hanging. He will not abandon you. He will get you to the other side. And whatever you are facing today, hear me, in Jesus, God is with you. He will not leave you. And that is more than enough to give you the strength and courage you need. Will you guys pray with me right now? God, we are just so grateful for your presence and your guidance and your direction and just the fact that you were so invested in our lives that you would love us enough to say, I do not want you to live with any fear or discouragement in your life. You have no reason to be afraid. And right now, Lord, I would just pray for all of us that we truly would come to trust your presence, whether we feel it or not that we would trust that you promise to be with us wherever we go. 
Whether we are on the highest heights or just wandering through the wilderness, God, you promise your presence. And as we just continue praying today, you know, some of us in this room, you would say, I, I don't sense God's presence. And if you're honest though, you really have not truly invited God's presence into your life. And maybe it's been a season or a while, or maybe just you never have done that in your life. And God is just waiting for you to invite him in so he can fill your life with his presence, but it requires you to reach out. And in this moment, you can reach out to God right here. And you can just agree with me in prayer, say, God, I want you in my life. Jesus, I invite you in, forgive me of my sin. I wanna be set free. I want you to guide and direct my life. And I lay everything down so I can live out your plans and purpose for me. When you pray that type of prayer, God promises to enter into your life. And we thank you, God, for anybody making a decision right now. And we pray we can walk forward in faith and courage with whatever you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, well. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Brian, if you're online or in the room, take a moment and fill out the connection card that's inside your worship guide or right there, that link. Click that link and just make, let us know of the decision you made. Today I'm giving my life to Jesus or maybe you're recommitting your life to Christ. Um, again, it's the same hassle-free guarantee. Uh, we're never gonna take advantage of that information, but we simply wanna give you a next step in your faith and your journey with Jesus. And um, church, can we just again um, praise God and thank Pastor Brian for that incredible word this morning. Uh, thank you. It's awesome. And you're going to hear more about this in the, in the months to come, but we are um, a sister church now of Rockwood Church, and uh, we're going to be supporting them financially, getting involved with them, and what God is doing in the Denver area through Rock, Rockwood Church um, is a direct result of your incredible generosity um, here at Trinity. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making a difference in the life of people you don't even know, uh, but you'll meet them one day in heaven. And I can't get anything, I don't know of anything more exciting about that uh, than investing um, in people um, that we will see one day um, in eternity. Um, and talking about that, um, church, um, are you excited today? It's, it's time to give, it's time for the offering. I, we celebrate that here. However you give online, boxes in the back of the room, maybe you're sending it in the mail. Um, thank you for your incredible and amazing generosity. We cheer for it because God loves a cheerful giver and we serve a give first God. So we will be a give first people. Um, talking about a next step, if you're new around here and you wanna know how to get involved, connected into the life of our church, um, we have this thing called the growth track. It's a four step process. It'll help you know God, find a friend, discover your purpose so you can make a difference. Today is week two. It happens during the 11 o'clock hour, so immediately after the service, go to the growth track room in our main lobby. Um, our host team will greet you, they welcome you, they'd love to help you take the next step here at Trinity. Um, I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet all over the room. Um, if you are a guest today, my wife and I will be down front for a few moments. We'd love to meet you, love to shake your hand, welcome you to church. Pastor Brian will be down front for a few moments. I'd love for you to encourage him today. And if you need prayer for any reason, maybe this message today spoke to you, maybe you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus, um, our prayer team will be down front. We love nothing more um, before you go home than to pray with you and for you, whatever need you may have today. Uh, let me pray a blessing over you. God, I thank you 
for what you've done in this hour. I thank you for the incredible story of faith and just the encouragement to be strong and courageous because you are with us. We thank you for that truth today. Now, I thank you, Lord, for the amazing people of Trinity Church that we will have the most amazing Sunday afternoon we've ever had. And the Phoenix Suns will sweep the Milwaukee Bucks. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I love you. Keep coming back. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.